Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Amen. I invite you to be seated. If you would open your Bibles to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 9. We continue our study on the Master's plan for disciple-making. We've looked at the come and see stage where Jesus invited his disciples just to see what he was doing, and then the come and follow me phase of his ministry And now we're in that come and be with me time where Jesus began to share ministry with them and share how he would communicate the gospel to others. And at this point in the study, he begins to, in the gospel account, he begins to share some deep, deep truths with his disciples that they would not have been ready for earlier, around 10 months before the crucifixion, give or take, depending on what scholar you follow. That's where Jesus begins to teach these deep truths. I want to read a response to a survey that was done over 550 churches were studied from 2004 through 2010 tom rayner's group studied these churches and this is what they found nine out of ten churches are declining or growing at a pace slower than the community let that one sink in for a minute nine out of ten churches are declining or not growing as fast as their communities here's what rayner says He proposes that congregations across America are weak because many of us church members have lost the biblical understanding of what it means to be part of the body of Christ. We join our churches expecting others to serve us, to feed us, to care for us. He goes on to say, God did not give us local churches to become country clubs where membership means privileges and perks. He placed us in churches to serve to care for others, to pray for our leaders, to teach, to give, and in some cases, to die for the sake of the gospel. Many churches are weak because we have members who have turned the meaning of membership upside down. He goes on to say it's time to give instead of being entitled. I want you to understand that today as I look at this passage that's familiar to us, This passage where Jesus begins to draw a line in the sand, where he just really cuts it clear so they can see it when he gets right to the quick of things, that this this truth here goes alongside this other passion of mine that our churches, our church needs to be the kind of church that has a biblical understanding of church membership. That's what this whole master plan of disciple making is, that our church could understand and grasp and live out a biblical understanding of discipleship. Let's look at the passage as Jesus teaches them, chapter 9, beginning in verse 21. Verse 21 says, he strictly warned and instructed them to tell this to no one. The this is the declaration of, that Peter just made that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's going to give his life for them. He, he warned them, not everybody's ready for this truth. And then he says to them, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, be killed and be raised the third day. Now if Jesus had said that specifically like that when he first called those guys out, 
they would, they would have done just like you and I would have done. They would have turned around and gone the other way. How many leaders say, follow me because I'm going to die and leave you? How many would follow that guy? But he let them see what he had been called to do, to come alongside them, to be the one who was God in the flesh. And they walked with him, and they learned, and they grew. And he finally says to them, very clearly, I'm going to be given over to the chief priests and to the scribes, and I'm going to die. So in that context of their understanding of why he came, or at least his declaration of why he came, look at verse 23. Then he said to them all, if anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. What is a man benefited if he gains the whole world yet loses and forf- or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, that of the Father and the holy angels. Jesus says to them, I'm going to give my life for you. I'm going to suffer because of your sin. And if you want to come with me, if you want to be with me, if you want to genuinely follow me, this is what it's going to take. And he begins to outline what it means to be a disciple. Much of what I want to say today has been developed by Bill Hull as he writes about the disciple-making church. Now, Paul Mascarellas, he writes a Bible study with him. So rather than go throughout this and quote these two guys, I just want you to know some of these concepts come from them. They, they remind us that the deepening of this vital conviction that, that has to come in the life of every believer, we all get there. We get to that point where Jesus, in essence, says, okay, you've said you're going to follow me. Now it's time for you to really, really follow me. When Jesus begins to share the more costly elements of the faith, when Jesus begins to say, it's not just about showing up in church and filling a seat. It's not just about showing up and maybe even giving an offering. It's not just about cheering for the pastor and the other people. It's about discipleship and walking in obedience. He speaks plainly here. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote. When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Bonhoeffer knew it. He said, this is what it means to follow Christ. Christ says, I want you to come with me and I want you to die. That's what Jesus is saying in this passage of scripture. We have this mindset that the the world orbits around us. And then we come to our churches with this mindset that it's all about me. And then we end up having a church where it's all about me about my needs, about my concerns. It's that consumer mindset and mentality. I've got it out there in the world. I can have it my way at Burger King. I don't know if that's even their slogan anymore, right? Have it your way. But that's the mindset of our culture, isn't it? You deserve the best. You deserve a break. You deserve, fill in the blank of all the media bombarding that comes our way, that it's all about us. And then we come to Christ and we accept him as savior And we bring that mindset into the church that, yeah, he did die for me, but it's still all about me. Jesus lays out in this passage of scripture certain non-negotiables when it comes to being disciples of Christ. So let's look at these. Number one, Jesus calls his disciples to a life of self-denial. To a life of self-denial. 
It's not popular today. He's not saying to deny things here. He's saying you're to deny yourself. In Romans 6, Paul writes you're to consider yourselves dead to sin, dead to the old life, dead to self, self self-denial. If any man will come after me, if anyone wants to come with me, he must first of all, in verse 23, deny himself. Hold that place there and look with me at the book of Philippians, chapter 2. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, after the Gospels, you'll find it. This is the explanation of Christ's coming and what it took. Jesus says, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. Some say, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2, chapter uh, chapter 2, verse 5. Who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to the death on the cross. Now, what is Paul writing there? The beginning of that passage, Jesus came willingly gave his life, humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. He begins that passage by saying, let this be your attitude. Can I say it another way? Deny yourself. It is not about you. Andy shared last week about the new identity we have in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. We we are now new in Christ. We forget that. Paul wrote in Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't live my life anymore. Say, preach it, pastor. Let me say it another way. You don't live your life anymore. You died. You have been crucified with Christ where Kevin is seated on the throne, where he's the boss of his life. That ended the day I said, Lord Jesus, come into my life, take control. Did you know you did that? When you pray to receive Christ? If you didn't, you should have. If you didn't mean it, I question whether or not you really came to Christ. Because he wants us to lay down our life to say, I I give myself to you, Lord. I die to self. Crucified with Christ. Paul and Mascarella talk about the the kinds of gospels that are out there, and there's only one true gospel, but the kinds of gospels that are out there, and there's this consumer mentality versus the biblical mindset of discipleship. And they list four false gospels, the forgiveness-only gospel that says you come to Christ to get your sins forgiven. That's all there is to it. And we emphasize that because we do come to Christ to get our sins forgiven. That's not all there is. It's like coming to Christ to get relief. Oh, I'm so glad I'm not going to hell because my sins are forgiven. Then there's a social gospel that just focuses on the benefits. The prosperity gospel. You know the prosperity gospel, the name it, claim it, God wants you to be wealthy and healthy? Basically, that just says that God owes me something. Folks, God doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't owe you a nice car. He doesn't owe you a happy family. He doesn't owe you perfect health. You owe him your very breath. The prosperity gospel, that's false. Then there's something that's very subtle. It's called the consumer gospel. We know about that. Man is at the center, the center of that gospel. It is all about us. 
God helps me get my needs met at the church that I plug into. I go to church, God's there, he's gonna take care of my kids and my family and, and whenever there's a need, we'll be there with a the church family. It's, it's all about me. In the consumer gospel, we come to Christ and we negotiate with God about what areas of our life we're gonna yield to him today. Folks, that's not the gospel. The gospel is I died. I said, Jesus, I, I, I lay my life down. I don't have any rights anymore. The only true gospel is the gospel of Jesus, which is obedience. Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you. The first element of really non-negotiable is I have to deny myself. Secondly, he calls his disciples to a life of total submission to God. Again, verse 23, if anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross. Take up his cross. This doesn't mean I'm gonna carry some burdens. Some people say, oh, the cross I have to carry is this arthritis, that's my cross. Oh, things aren't going well at work, that's the cross I carry, taking up the cross. Somebody says, well, the cross I carry is my family. They're such a burden, but I'm there to do it for Jesus. It's not what he's saying. He's speaking of total submission and obedience. A, a new identity. See, when a, when a person under the sentence of crucifixion by the Roman government carried their cross as Christ did, you know what he was saying? That person who went to crucifixion was saying, I am submitting to the authority of Rome. I'm guilty. I'm a murderer. I'm a thief. I'm whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm submitting to Rome because they're about to take my life. Carrying a cross in that culture was to say, I am now broken. I've broken the law. Now I'm in, I'm in humble obedience and submission to the Roman government. To carry the cross is to say I'm in total submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. I am sentenced to live a life of obedience to him. See, to carry our crosses to show we're submitting as a person sentenced to death. David Watson said it this way, it is the greatest mistake to water down the cost of Christian discipleship or to present the church as a club where the degree of commitment depends entirely on personal choice or convenience. It is not a club. The church is the army of Jesus Christ. Let me just encourage you to think about this. Has your church membership, has your involvement in the body of Christ been simply negotiating of how much of your life Jesus is going to have this week? Or how much of your devotion he's going to get that month? Or has it been a life of total submission to him in obedience? Listen to Paul's description back in Philippians, this time chapter 3. This is personal testimony of the Apostle Paul. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. See, if this doesn't sound like a man who knows what it means to carry the cross of Christ. 
to walk under total submission. But everything that was gained to me, I've considered to be lost because of, G- of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things. I consider them filth so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him. The power of his resurrection. The fellowship of his sufferings. Being conformed to his death. Total submission to God. A story is told of a Greek general named Antigonus. He observed a young soldier under his command who was always at the forefront of the battle. As he investigated, he found that this soldier had an illness, a disease that was, in that culture, could have been terminal, very painful disease. And he watched this young soldier under his command out there on the front lines, battle after battle. No care, concern for his life, but fighting valiantly. And this general saw that courage and bravery and decided to reward that young man. So he found the best physician that money could buy. He took this young soldier to that physician and they discovered that there was a treatment for his disease. And he cured him. And then the general noticed that that young soldier was no longer on the forefront of the battle line anymore. Now that he had been healed of that disease, he found a place of comfort in the back ranks. He avoided danger now, seeking to protect and care for his own life instead of risking it on the field. That once brave soldier now took back his life. I thought, what a picture of how some of us live the Christian life. We understand at that moment of yielding to Christ as Lord and Savior and inviting him to be Lord of our life and to to trust him completely, we just say, Lord Jesus, it's all yours. And then the cares of life come in and we begin to back up and It's all about self-preservation. I believe in Luke chapter 9, Jesus is calling his disciples to take up the cross. He's calling them to forget that life. Forget it where you were in charge. Yield to me. The third non-negotiable, still in verse 23, where he says, take up his cross daily and follow me. This is Jesus calling his disciples to daily obedience. Daily obedience. How many times have you heard when people say, we'd like to open the floor for testimonies about what God's doing in your life? People have to go back 10 years, 5 years, 20 years. I remember that day, or let me tell you what God's been up to in the last 5 years instead of what he's doing right now. If your testimony consists only of a conversion experience, but no obedience, is that a life of discipleship? Is that a life of submission? Is that a life of daily obedience? 
This is to be the process daily. Saying today, I no longer will be on the throne of my life. Jesus, you, you are in residence on the throne of my life. You're in residence there. You're the king. Miles Stanford said, when the believer begins really to see the cross for what it is, a place of death, he's inclined to hesitate about choosing such fellowship. Can I paraphrase that? If we could get an understanding that to come to Christ is to lay down our lives, we'd be more serious about that commitment. This deepening of conviction that Jesus calls his disciples to at this point in their pilgrimage can't be ignored. You can't go through your Christian life just smooth sailing, everything great, calling the shots, planning your agenda, doing your thing, negotiating with God. That's not a life of obedience. William Barclay said, it's not the great moments of sacrifice, but a a life lived in the constant hourly awareness of the demands of God. I don't agree with everything that Barclay says, but I like that statement. Andrew Murray said, it's the daily giving up of my life to God. I like the analogy of a person who's asked to give it all to God, and and that person goes to God and says, God, here's a $100 bill. And God takes that $100 bill and takes it to the bank and changes it for quarters. That's a bunch of quarters. And just hands all those quarters back and says, now, here's how you give your life to me. Just a quarter at a time. Moment by moment, day by day, walking in obedience with Christ. He calls us to daily obedience. Daily. Not just Sunday morning. Not just whatever night your grace group meets. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Not just on that night. Not just on that day. Not just when people are watching you. Not just when you're around some other Christians. But he calls you to a life of daily obedience to him. The fourth non-negotiable. Jesus calls his disciples to live with an eternal perspective. An eternal perspective. Verse 24 through 26. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life because of me will save it. What is a man benefited if he gains the whole world yet loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in glory and that of his Father and the holy angels. See, there is a day, there will be a day when every one of us will stand before God and give an account of our lives. Not an account of our sins, because if you know Christ as personal Savior, those sins have been taken care of. They've been covered by the blood. As the Bible says, they've been pitched to the deepest sea. Somebody says, Jesus took my sin and put him in the ocean and posted a no fishing sign. I like that. That's, the sin is covered. We don't have to give an account for that. But the Bible says we will stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for our life lived as a believer. That's where we get to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's living life with an eternal perspective. When he comes in his glory. That's living your life with heaven in view. That's not like some people. All they talk about is 
is the golden streets and, and the pearly gates and all that stuff. That's what not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the thing about heaven that's going to make it real is that Jesus will be there. And we'll be in his presence and we'll worship him and we'll stand before him to give an account. That's what eternal perspective means. That one of these days, I'll stand before him. There won't be any negotiating there. It'll be, Lord, here I am. As you look at my life, I pray that how I've lived is pleasing to you. Where are you? Have you accepted this challenge that Jesus lays down for his disciples? Maybe you've accepted that challenge one day and you've backed up a little bit. Maybe you're like that young soldier and got a little too heated and you backed up. Got a little tough and you retreated. Got a little hard and you said, I want to go back to where things are soft and smooth and comfy. Got a little difficult financially, so you said, well, Lord, I'm just going to take care of me now and I'll, I'll deal with you later. Where are you today? We're called to live our lives daily, denying self, submitting to him, obeying him, and with a view that one day eternally we will stand before him. That's living life with an eternal perspective. In the movie, End of the Spear, it's a true story. It records the story of five young missionaries who were killed in Ecuador, in the jungle, as they went to try to minister to a tribe and share Christ with a tribe that was killing, the tribe was dying off because of all of their fighting. They went to this Wadoni tribe and shared the gospel with them. That was their plan. And in the movie, this true story, Nate Saint, this is the Jim Elliott group. Nate Saint was getting on the airplane to go take the gospel to this Wadoni tribe. And, and in the movie, he has a rifle in his airplane. And he's saying goodbye to his little son. His little son notices the rifle in the airplane. And he says, what if the Wadoni attack? Will you use your guns to defend yourself? And Nate looks at his boy right in the eye, and this is what he says. He says, son, we can't shoot the Wadoni. They're not ready for heaven yet. We are. And Nate, Jim Elliott, and the others gave their lives that day. Folks, there's a world out there that's not ready for heaven. We are. Will we live it? Will we live in the light of the fact that Jesus is coming again? We will stand before him. Don't waste it. Don't waste this life. Pray with me.